Turn with me, friends, to the passage that we read, <clears throat> 18th chapter of the first book of Kings. And I'll read there at verse 24. And call ye in the name of your gods, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. <clears throat> Friends, in this famous story, we might say that we have a collision of convictions. This was a nation that had been rent apart by the sin of Ahab adopting a totally ungodly system of faith. It's a bit like what we have in our time today. We have a problem as Christians in our world, in our country, because we have a nation that is captured by delusions captured by delusions, one delusion after another. Delusion about capital punishment, whether the killer should be killed, a delusion about marriage, a delusion about transgenderism, a delusion about climate. And the whole nation is being led down this fake agenda, this fake path, a way of delusions. What are we to do? What are we to do in the face of the witness of God's truth? Well, here in our passage, friends, we have a climate crisis. A climate crisis. And various... Methods were used to try and solve the problem. Sacrifices were made, and we're all being asked to make sacrifices, aren't we? To throw out our central heating, our oil-fired boilers, our petrol cars. We're all made to make these sacrifices, and lo and behold, if we make all these sacrifices, the problem will be solved. That's what we're told. And billions of Pounds are being spent to solve the problem. Friends, we know what the answer is. There's only one solution to the problem. It is repentance. Repentance for sin before the creator God who creates the climate. It's not the amount of petrol we use. It's the amount of sin that we are sinning. That's what's creating the crisis. 
And God is speaking, but the people are not hearing. That's what we have here. A climate crisis. Why was it? You can see I give three reasons here. The first one is, the creator was abandoned. The creator was abandoned. We read in previous chapter, I think it is, that God, that we read that in chapter 16, verse 32, and Ahab reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. He abandoned the religion of the true God and he set up a man-made a sexually based house of Baal. That's what we have today. A house of Baal, an obsession with sex. Everything is ruled by this obsession. We're, we're worshippers of Baal. Scotland is devoted to this Baal worship. The creator is abandoned. No thought of worship. How many people from Benside went to church tonight? I didn't see anyone as we left the house. How many in your streets made their way to the house of God? How many in Glasgow worshipped the living God today? That city which is, has as its motto, Glasgow shall flourish by the preaching of the word. But they don't want to hear. They don't want to worship. They've abandoned the creator. So now they're paying the price. There's floods, there's fires, here and there and everywhere, when the creator is abandoned, when the covenant is abused. We read here that Ahab called on Obadiah, who took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave. Why? Because Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. This queen cut off the prophets of the Lord. Here were the men called of God to bring the voice and the message of God to the people, and they were cut off. These were the men appointed to maintain the covenant agreement of Israel, a people joined to the Lord. Jezebel severed that union by cutting off the prophets. How soon will it be before those who raise their voices? It's happening already. Those who raise their voices against abortion or against transgender, they're losing their jobs. They're being cut off. Things are being done to abuse the covenant that this nation made with God. And there's a crisis. Thirdly, friends, the creed is abrogated. The belief in Jehovah has been cancelled. We find this in also in a, a previous chapter where we read that 
Elijah had to flee for his life. And where there was no more mention of Jehovah. Even when Elijah spoke to the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. What was his answer? The answer of the nation. He answered not a word. Talk about Jesus in the streets of Edinburgh. You won't get an answer. They don't want to know. They don't want to answer. They don't want to talk about the cross, about sin. I saw a video of a street preacher in Sohiol Street. He was preaching about sin. And some homosexual said, you just hate me. And he said, no. He said, I love everybody. That's why I'm telling you. But a crowd gathered, and then the police arrived, and they arrested the preacher. And the people all clapped. The people all clapped. They clapped. They want to hear about sin. He didn't like a man. Told them they were sinners. And so there's a climate crisis. It's time for repentance. Not only a climate crisis, there's a challenging call because there was one voice left. One voice that could, would not be silenced. May this be true of us, friends. Don't be silenced. The first thing about this voice, this challenging call, is that, of course, it's the call to Elijah. And this call, he appeared, it seems, from nowhere. But we see his call confirmed. Again, in chapter 17, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to the word of the Lord. Here is Elijah giving the testimony of his call. The Lord God of Israel, in other words, your God and the God of all the people before whom I stand. No one else was standing, but he was a one that came and stood in the presence of his God to wait upon him and to hear what the Lord would say. Friends, let us be a church that can say, we stand before the Lord God of Israel. No one will shift us or move us. Like Daniel, who knelt down toward Jerusalem three times a day. He could not be moved. Before whom I stand. Does that, does that describe our church? Elijah is confirmed. It says in 18 verse 2, And Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. And confirmed again. You see who I am. You know who I am. Here I am. 
And so the second point here is, Elijah is here. Elijah is confirmed. And Elijah is here. Does everyone in Scotland know that Elijah is here? That there's an uncompromising witness against the sins of the nation? That's the reason for the crisis. It says in verse 14, and now thou sayest, Go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. Let's hope we have these opportunities to stand before those who have the levers of power today and say to them, Minister of state, repent. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You've offended the God of Scotland. You're a sinner. Elijah is here. Pray God. We see that Elijah in 2024. Elijah is obeyed. Isn't that astonishing? One man. 450 supporters and devotees to Baal, ruling every village and town. And yet, when Elijah stands and speaks, the highest authority obeys him, says here in 20. So Ahab went unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Why? Because Elijah told him to. And he obeyed. Gathered to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. You'll be surprised, friends, if we take a stand. How people will cave in. Because they've got no, they've got no foundation. They've built on sand. They're propagating delusions. And so there's no strength behind them. Elijah is obeyed. A challenging call. The contest is convened. The contest is convened. There they're gathered. Imagine the whole nation. If you've been to Mount Carmel, there it rises above the sea. There's a great city of Haifa below. And you can see for miles around, and you can just imagine the teeming thousands of Israel gathered and looking up. And there on the brow of the hill, silhouetted, are the two altars, the altar of Baal and the altar of Elijah. All are watching. What a drama this is. What is this? It's a trial by fire. I will call on the name of the Lord, and the Lord, the God that answereth by fire, let him be, let him be God. Of course, fire is a symbol of testing, like fire in a furnace, like silver, refined seven times the fire 
is something that tests. In the old days here, even in Britain, there used to be a trial by fire. If um, you were accused of something, then uh, even the church of the day, the Roman church, would say, we'll try him by fire. And they would, they would heat a cannonball in the fire and put it into the hands of the accused. And if he was able to hold it, then he was innocent. What a travesty of justice. It was a trial by fire. But this, of course, is a true test of fire. How would we do, friends, if we were tested by fire? I heard of parents telling me that before their son had a fearful breakdown and his whole career was ruined, they read in First Peter chapter 1, Be not afraid of the fiery trial that awaits you. Who knows what trials we may go through, friends? Are we ready to stand tested by fire? It was a test of fire. It was a test of life because fire is a sign of life. You talk about your fire being dead, don't you? When the light goes out, the fire goes out. Fire is a sign of life. And it was a trial of sacrifices. This test says in verse 27, And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, he is a god. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's in a journey, prevent he sleepeth, must be awakened up. Test of sacrifices. As I said earlier, we're being called on to make sacrifices. People's careers are being ruined. And um, the oil men are being sent home without jobs. And so on and so on. These men thought that by extreme sufferings, punishing, punishing themselves, that they would solve the problem. They cut themselves after the manner with knives, after their manner with lancets, till the blood gushed out upon them. You wonder what next will be asked? What are the price we'll have to pay before these people are, these uh, echo warriors are satisfied? We've all got to people, we're not allowed to call people by she or he. We can't use the English language. This is the kind of madness. These people were crazy, and same today, friends. It's a trial of sacrifice. But also this, it was a testimony to delusion. A testimony to delusion. All their efforts came to nothing. It came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, there was neither voice, nor any answer, nor any that regarded blank silence, total failure. The whole religion was exploded and, dis and, dis and uh, displayed as a sham and a delusion. Friends, let's pray for such a time. 
Let's pray when all these false doctrines of the godless are exposed for what they are and the charlatans are driven off so that people may return to the gospel of grace. That was the contest that was convened at the command of the prophet through his, of God through his prophet. And lastly, friends, the covenant was revived. The covenant was revived. Is there hope for us? Or are we doomed? Friends, when Elijah comes, the covenant is revived. How did you do this? Well, perhaps we can draw some lessons from uh, the details of what he did. He was very careful. We're told here in verse 31, Elijah said to the people, Come near unto me. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Are you praying for the day when all these empty churches in Edinburgh and Glasgow and Aberdeen will be crowded again because the people are coming near to hear the prophetic voice? Come near unto me, says the Lord. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Why did he take 12 stones? Why not 11? Why not 20? Why not 15? No, it must be 12, he said. No more. That's all I want. It must be 12. Because that's God's number. 12 apostles, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. It's God's number. It's his chosen, the number of his chosen people. You say, remember Israel. These 12 stones witness to you that you're a people set apart for God. Don't you know? Well, here I am reminding you that you're bound in covenant. Every tribe, 12 in number, without exception, you're bound together by covenant, your God. Twelve house stones of Israel. And then twelve, twelve drenches of water. Have you counted up the number of barrels that were poured over? They took four barrels. And three times over they poured this drench of water over a fire. Have you ever heard of somebody making a fire with water? What nonsense. Defying nature, defying the laws of science. But friends, that is what we need. Don't put your faith in science. Very often it's fake. It will change from year to year. So God, Elijah said, pour the water. Why? He's saying, this water is what you have done. You have been pouring water. Instead of offering sacrifices, you've been blotting out and quenching. Quenching the prophets of the Lord. Quenching, quenching 
the moving of the Spirit, quenching the law of Moses, quenching your agreement with your God, quenching the moving of your conscience. That's what's being done today, friends. People have been quenched. Conscience has been quenched, saying, no, there's nothing wrong with abortion. You mustn't say it's wrong. Quenching the conscience of those who, who shed innocent blood. What a dreadful thing. We should be weeping over it every day we rise. And yet it goes on and on. But Elijah exposed, this is, his, this is what you've done. You've quenched the presence and the blessings of God. No wonder you're starving. No wonder the drought. No wonder there's a climate crisis. You've quenched the moving and spirit of God. Twelve drenches of water. And yet, when Elijah knelt down and prayed, it was so different. You all know what it says in James. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. But when he prayed, the rain stopped. And when he prayed again, the rain fell. The climate crisis was over by prayer. That's the answer. But it's not just as easy as that. Not only we read of 12 stones and 12 drenches, but we read of seven prayers. Seven prayers. How often have we prayed, friends, for God to do something, for revival to come? Just listen to this. Verse 44. And he said to his servant, go up now. And looked toward the sea, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And the servant went up and looked and said, There is nothing. How often have we had to say, There's nothing, no conversions? Where is the power of the Spirit among us? Why is it not our prayers not answered? Friends, we must persevere. It didn't happen after one prayer, after two prayers, three, four, five, six. Oh, surely that's enough. No, seven times. Seven times he prayed, and that cloud the size of a man's hand appeared. Friends, when will you reach that point in your prayers? Well, you'll see that hand of the, of the sign of revival coming. You won't see it unless you persevere. Pray, friends. Prayer destroyed the prophets of Baal. Prayer destroyed the compromise and idolatry of the people. Prayer brought <coughs> revival to Israel. And what have we got? Our Jehovah Jesus, who prayed with strong crying and tears and was heard in that he feared. 
Let's learn to pray like our master. Look what happened with his prayer. By his prayer, you have been saved. By you, his prayer, a thousand and thousands and millions have passed from death to life because he was heard in that he feared. Let us pray. Let us pray, friends. Living God, we're living in a day of fearful, backsliding, and godless delusions. But prayer is the answer. And you're telling us again tonight, pray, pray with fervent prayer. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So may we bend, men and women, yes, children, and say, Lord, answer by fire. Answer by fire. And quench the delusions of our day. And glorify thy son. We ask for his sake. Amen.